podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 247, the Air Race Classic with Kaylee Bordner, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Hi, folks. Welcome to the show about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Today, we have a special guest, Kaylee Bordner, the Assistant Director of Publicity for the Air Race Classic. Kaylee is a past and future competitor in the air race, and when she's not racing planes, she works as an airline pilot flying cargo. Before we get started, though, just a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by PlainEnglishSim.com. This is the app-based aviation radio simulator. If you want to get a free scholarships guide, they've actually sponsored a few. You can use this coupon code. It's called Plain English Sim, all one word, to receive a free scholarships guide courtesy of PlainEnglishSim.com. You know, coupons are limited, so act quickly. Plain English Sim is a really cool app for both VFR and IFR. And if you're trying to learn English in general and aviation English, great Great uh, product out there. It can work on all your mobile devices. Again, check it out at plainenglishsim.com. And on to news and announcements. Air Race Classic for 2021 is coming up in June of uh, 2021, June 22nd through 25th, right here in Lakeland, Florida. And we are so excited about that. We'll have a link for all the future dates, etc. cetera. Uh, before we begin and introduce our guest, though, joining us is one of our co-hosts, Bill English. Bill, welcome. How you doing, my friend? Great, great. Here I am, not related to plain English sim, but no. uh, happy to be here anyway. <laughs> and and but it's a great great product. We talked about aviation communications in a past episode. It's, yes, uh, we did. Terrific stuff there. Well, again, joining us today is somebody we've had on our sister podcast, AviationCareersPodcast.com. Go check out that podcast if you want to know something about what it's like to be a cargo pilot. But Kaylee Bordner, who, again, is the Assistant Director of Publicity for the Air Race Classic, is joining us. And she's somebody who just absolutely loves aviation and uh, has been willing to stay awake during the day to talk to us. And we really appreciate that. So welcome to the podcast, Kaylee. Hi, Carl. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so wonderful to, to speak with you again, especially about something that I'm incredibly passionate about, and that's this Air Race Classic. Uh, for those that don't know much about it, there's lots of information on the internet, and I know you may have heard about it before on the podcast a few years ago. We had a friend, uh, Lynn Kaywood, of the podcast come on and talk a little bit about the, the Cla Air Race Classic. Didn't get too much into, I think, the history and all, but we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, some other things, like the challenges and, and also the benefits of getting involved and, and what the organization really is. 
So, Kaylee, uh, first of all, uh, you actually are an airline pilot. Is that correct? And you uh, and you fly cargo. What type of an aircraft do you fly now? So I have been employed with Ameriflight for about three years, and I am a captain on the Beach 99 airliner. It is a like mid-sized uh, twin turbo prop. So I'm based out of Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, cool. And when you're not doing that, you're out uh, helping out with a lot of different things and, and really try, really promoting aviation uh, for everybody, especially for a lot of the, the females out there. And I really appreciate what you're doing, especially on Instagram, uh, which, by the way, we'll have a link in the show notes to that Instagram page. But we're talking today about the Air Race Classic. And the Air Race Classic is for me, I didn't know what it was at first, to be honest with you, till somebody said, oh, it, you know, it's the Powder Puff Derby. And I said, wait a minute, I've heard of that, but it really isn't. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself on the history. So tell us a little bit about the Air Race Classic and and, uh, and maybe go into a little bit of that history as to how it came to be the Air Race Classic. So yeah, you're not wrong about it being referred to as the Powder Puff Derby, and people still kind of refer to it as that um, today. But what the Air Race Classic is, is it's an annual all-women's air race that's approximately 2,400 statue miles in length with seven to nine stops along the route, and the route changes every year. Um, so women across the country and across the world come to the U.S. to fly this. Um, you can race in a naturally aspirated piston aircraft um, with a horsepower between 100 to 600 um, horsepower. And there's such a different variety of aircraft because it's such an open playing field of what aircraft you can use. Um, and the different speeds that are associated with that variety, it's not a race to the finish line. It's actually a points race now. It used to be a race to the finish line, but now um, what we do is we assign a handicap speed to every team. So the process of the Air Race Classic is when you want to join, you register, and once you're approved, you get a handicap flight and then you go and race. So to kind of expand on this handicap flight, what it is, is it's where a team um, is assigned a ARC designated, ARC is also Aries Classic for those that don't know, um, their designated pilot, aka handicap pilot, and that's just somebody who flies with the team um, and they check during the flight to make sure they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing so there's no cheating during this flight. So the handicap flight, you go up, you fly with the handicap pilot, you go up to an altitude of 6,000 density altitude, and you fly like a box pattern. So you fly north, east, south, west, and during that flight, you're flying with a Bad Elf GPS tracker. So you throw that up on the dash while you're going through this flight. It's like seven minute legs on each direction. It's tracking all the data. It's tracking altitude, airspeed. And then the handicap pilot is also noting down all of the ground speed readings manually in case the Bad Elf GPS tracker um, is not collecting data for some reason when you get on the ground. So, while you're doing this flight, um, the configuration of the aircraft is in race configuration. So prop full forward, max power, mixture lean to your best, um, best power. And then basically from that, once you get all that done, 
then that data that's collected during the flight is sent off to our data team, which they plug into their computer program. It works its magic and computes your top speed. So then that top speed is assigned to the team, and then that is your handicap speed. So the reason why that's so important for this race is because anytime you're going over your handicap speed, you're gaining points. Anytime you're flying under your handicap speed, you're losing points. So again, because there's such a big variety of of aircraft, we've got Cessna 172s, we've got 182s, you've got Bonanzas, you've got different Beechcraft, you've got uh, Moonies, um, Grumman's. I've seen a Husky actually be involved. Um, you can do twins as long as they're naturally aspirated. I haven't seen very many of those just because I think it's the higher operating cost. Um, but with with that, everybody is racing kind of against themselves, but also against everybody else. So it kind of makes it a little interesting. Um, so with that, when it comes to the actual race, the way you try and beat your handicap speed is during the race, you're trying to fly the perfect cross country. So you're trying to sit there and you're looking at the route. You're going, okay, do I have terrain? Do I want to go over the terrain? Will that climb hurt my handicap speed? Or do I stay low and I go around the terrain? Airspace, you kind of have to think, okay, am I going to go around airspace? Am I going to go under airspace? Am I going to try and go through the airspace and comply with ATC instructions? The only issue with that is if ATC tells you to deviate off of your course or gives you an instruction, you have to abide by that, obviously. So, all of these are kind of being mixed into the whole bigger picture of trying to fly that perfect cross country. Um, and then to kind of expand even bigger on it, with those seven stops along the route, while you're flying trying to beat your handicap speed, you gotta land for fuel somewhere, right? So we land and at each of these stops, you have what's called a timing line. So you fly the timing line to start and stop your time. Mm. So when you fly a leg, they know what time you took off, they know what time you landed, so then they can average your speed because they know the distance on that leg as well. So we're collecting data from both the bad elf tracker and the manual data so then at the end of all of the legs, when you get to the terminus, they submit all of the data, they compute all of the data, and then at the end of the race, they compile a list of everybody's basically points. So the highest points wins, and the slowest points, you actually get what's called a turtle award. <laughs> so they're not left out. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how the point system works. And that's how the race works is it's just that point system of who's flying the fastest to beat their handicap speed by the largest margin. 
Yeah, it's o- almost similar to the complexities of for me golf and handicapping. But <laughs> <laughs> that it's interesting that you talk about the bad elf. Is this something? Is this new? This the technology they're using, or is this something they've been doing for a few years? They've been doing it ever since I started racing. So I started racing back in 2014. So we were using the bad elves back then. Um, and I don't know how, when they started incorporating that, um, but it's been for a few years. You know, I, I noticed that, speaking of the race itself, there is this route and there is these different points. How do they figure out where they land and stuff like that or where those points are? So every year or just... It's open to anybody who wants to submit um, an inquiry, I guess you could call it. But on our website, we have how to be a host. So you can go in and let's say for me, because I'm familiar with the Omaha area, I want to submit Council Bluffs Airport as a stop. So I'll submit it and be like, this is why I think Council Bluffs should be a stop along the race. And then our route team with the Aries Classic directors goes in and they pull from those like submissions and they go out and they reach out to the airports to see if they're actually willing to host a stop during one of the routes. And then they compile all of the race routes and usually they have the race routes in works, I think up to two to three years in advance. So we know right now we just released um, the 2021 race route and we know in works what 2022 and we're planning 2023 right now. So it's quite a bit of planning in advance. Um, And on their website, by the way, you can actually click on if you want to be a host or you want to host Air Race Classic and you want to get it out there, you can actually contact them and uh, online and say, hey, I want to be part of this. And uh, it actually is really good for people that are wanting to host it. I guess I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but I think it's great, especially for business. If you want to be a host uh, of the Air Race Classic, uh, what kind of benefits would come besides what I just said uh, for somebody locally who wants to host this? So locally, um, the benefits of hosting a stop is you have 55 teams basically flying through your little airport. Um, Some of them are fairly large, but you've got 55 teams that are comprised of at least two or more women. So you've got over 100 pilots coming through your town within a four-day period. So you have to, you know, somehow food... Um, some of those airports, you know, we stay over at, so, um, lodging, um, fuel sale, if you have tie down fees or anything like that, that you have to pay if you overnight, um, there's all those different possible revenue aspects coming into your local economy from having those pilots transit through. Of course, the advertising. I mean, that's great. Mm -hmm. And you're supporting a good cause. You really are. Um, You know, when we, I don't know if we mentioned the year, but going back to the history, I know that this started a long time ago. uh, People don't realize this this race has been around for quite some time. I think it's, uh, what, 1920s, 1929, I think it was. I have to look that up. Yes, 1929. Yeah, the first first race was flown in 1929, and it was from Santa Monica, California, 
to Cleveland, Ohio with 18 stops. Um, and like I said before, that one was actually a race to the finish. So whoever got their first one, it wasn't like the points um, that we use now. Um, but basically the race came to be because pioneering women in aviation, such as Amelia Earhart, Poncho Barnes, Louise Thaden, um, Ruth Nichols, Opal Kuntz, and so on and so forth, they wanted to be involved in air racing events as well because it, you know it's the golden age of aviation everybody wants to be on the forefront they want to experience you know aviation to the fullest extent but they weren't allowed to race because they were women and they couldn't race with the men um, back then it was thought that women couldn't handle aircraft women weren't smart enough to fly uh, and so after years and years of basically protesting or you know trying to get involved with it. Finally, in 1929, the air race officials um, created this first women's air race. And it was kind of also like a marketing ploy for some of the aircraft manufacturers to get behind the race, because what better way to promote your aircraft and the safety of your aircraft than to have, you know, women 20 women flying across the country in your airplane. It shows that it's pretty safe. Um, so they kind of ignored that little jab kind of um, to them, and they went along with it anyway um, because it was it was an opportunity to, for them to show the world that they could do it. Um, and so women from all around the um, country entered. I believe there was one, one or two individuals i think 18 out of the 20 contestants were from the u.s and two were from different countries um they they entered um and they had to have at least 100 hours logged and they could only fly aircraft with a horsepower that was appropriate for women um <laughs> and i use air quotations for that um wow. one of the racers opal Kuntz wasn't allowed to fly her own travel air because it was 300 horsepower and that was dubbed too fast for a woman to handle. Um, so therein lies, you know, things have changed. Those, those, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Times have changed. Um, and so race officials, when this race was in the process of starting, they also tried to get women, like the women to fly with a male mechanic, but they wouldn't have it because they're like, no, we're going to do this on our own terms. We're going to show the world that we can do it because if they had a male mechanic flying with them, who's to say that a woman who actually couldn't fly an airplane entered with a male mechanic just as, you know, kind of like a publicity stunt. And they didn't want that. They wanted everybody to know that they were flying it. Um, so every woman flew solo in her own plane. Um, there was travel airs, um, Lockheeds. There was all sorts of different amazing aircraft. I really love the grassroots flying. So I would love to take one of these aircraft back on the Aries at some point. Um, but they took off in August of, or it was August 13th, and they finished August 20th, and Louise Thaden was actually the winner. Um, Amelia Earhart, I believe, had maintenance issues. Quite a few had mechanical problems. One or more women faced sabotage. Like, people actually put, like, acid 
on flying wires because biplanes back then have the flying wires. So they would put acid on the flying wires. They would dump sugar in gas tanks. Um, I think one woman actually had somebody throw a cigarette into her baggage compartment and she like somehow figured out that there was a fire basically in her baggage compartment, landed, got the clothes that were on fire out and then took back off. Um, so they faced quite a bit of quite quite a bit of adversity on that first race. Um, during the race, when they would land at each airport at night, there was a ton of like banquets and balls and all sorts of stuff. Um, so it's still kind of similar to that today, except for not as at every stop. It's just the start and the terminus. We have um, a lot of events. Um, but 14 out of the 20 women who entered and started the race finished and unfortunately one of the competitors died i think um she had an engine failure or some kind of a mechanical issue or actually i think it was carbon monoxide poisoning because what some people don't know is even though you're in an open cockpit biplane or an airplane you can still get carbon monoxide poisoning with how the air flows around the cockpit and gets into the cockpit um and louise thaden actually had an issue with that on her way out to california to the start um so that was the first ever all women's air race and it laid the foundation for the start of our race and also the start of a pretty well-known female pilot organization called the 99s. So after the race was finished, Amelia Earhart, Poncho, Louise Thaden, um, a lot of those pioneering women got together and they formed the 99s organization. So the Air Race Classic today and the 99s still work very closely together because of that. Um, and it's been the most consistent race from my understanding um, to this day. It went from being the air or the women's air derby, which started in 1929 up to world war two. And then obviously because there was all of the shortages and um, you know, restrictions for travel and all that kind of stuff during world war two, because supplies were needed for the war, they stopped um, having the race. But then in 1947, it started back up again under the branding of the all women's transcontinental air race. And it went from 1947 to 1977. And then that was the last year that it ran under the um, branding of that. And then the air race classic LTD stepped in, in 1978 to pick it back up. And then I believe it was in 2002, they filed the Air Race Classic Incorporated and made it a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And that's where we're currently at today. So this organization that was formed, even though it's fairly new, has an incredible history as far as the way it's formed now. I think it's going to actually enable it to continue on for a long time, which is great. Um, mm -hmm. You know, interestingly, you talked about, you know, the start of it and the getting women and showing that women can fly and they're, they're trying to get more people involved. It was very prescient that it was very prominent race. And it's something that I think is important today. We still, I feel, and I like your opinion on this, feel that's an important race 
for the similar reasons, because it does actually promote a lot of women in aviation and promote those other people by example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, there's so many benefits of participating in the Aries. Not only is it a fun event, but when you're participating, you network with other women. Um, Only 7% of pilots are women. So it's kind of hard to meet a lot of women in one area. Um, And here in, you know, a two week span, you meet over 110 women with type A personalities in one room, it gets pretty interesting and really fun. And you make lifelong friends, um, sisterhood, and the bonds that are created during even one race is amazing. You talked about doing a podcast with Lynn Kaywood, um, you know, a couple years ago, or a couple episodes ago. And i first met Lynn in 2014 and she's now a very good friend of mine. Um, The world of aviation is very small. So not only does it help us women pilots connect with each other, but it also shows the general aviation um, community as well as the general public, the importance of having women in aviation and carrying on that torch that the pioneering women, you know, basically created and held for us and all of the barriers that were overcome from them um, or by them is being, you know, that legacy is being carried on today. Um, And a lot of the different stops, you'll have people come out and be like, this is the first time I've ever met a female pilot. And you're like, how is that possible? It's, it's 2020. And this is the first time you've actually met a female pilot. It's, it's crazy to think that, the world is still like kind of that sheltered. I don't want to say sheltered, but it almost is like, it's just, there's just almost no words to describe the feeling you get when somebody says you're the first female pilot I've ever met. But by doing this, having this race, I think you're promoting more females to get into aviation because I think that's one of the reasons you don't see as many is, uh, and I hear that many times from people. It's like, I've never, you know, realize there were so many women in aviation. And the, the the lady that actually edits this podcast said that to me. She says, I had no idea there were so many females in aviation. There's somebody that's totally outside of aviation. By doing this, though, you actually make people realize that. And maybe, I think, you're actually moving that needle from that 7%. It's going to move up because of what you're doing. I mean, obviously, we're not going to see that right away, right? Because it takes a while to get the licenses. Um, but I, I really think it is changing things. I, I really think what you're doing is commendable. And I think it's it's awesome that you're really promoting this. And we definitely need more women in the aviation world. And uh, so it's one of those kind of those last bastions where we don't see a lot of females in. And and it's awesome to see more coming in because of this. Uh, you po- talked a little bit about the 99s, and I'm not sure there's some people that don't know what that is. So maybe you could speak a little bit more towards that. Like what it, what is the 99s? So the 99s is basically an organization for women pilots. Um, it's basically just the older Um, sister version of women in aviation. Um, It's an organization membership. I think it's just strictly to pilots. So women in aviation is open to mechanics um, who aren't pilots, the 99s, I believe. And if anybody listening, you know, if I'm wrong, shoot Carl an email and tell (laughs) me I'm wrong. 
Um, but it's strictly for pilots from my understanding. And um, they have chapters all over the world. There's one in Saudi Arabia. Um, there's so many around the US, Canada. Um, and basically it's just to network, mentor, um, and promote and inspire women in aviation just kind of like how women in aviation organization does that and how the air race does that. And they offer scholarships um, and so much more mentorship programs. They have it all. So you can actually uh, become involved in the 99s, even though you're not a female, you can donate, you can become a sponsor, mm -hmm. that type of thing. Uh, so if, if you're one that really wants to promote the cause, and you just mentioned scholarships, there's a ton of 99 scholarships out there. Uh, so highly, some people don't look towards the 99s for scholarships. Remember, they're, they're a huge old organization. There's lots of scholarships out there for you. So, so please take a look. I mean, they, they've been, uh, you know, I love their, their byline is always, inspiring female pilots since 1929 i guess it was mm -hmm. and uh correct me if i'm wrong on the date someone but it really is just a wonderful organization for people to come together i do know that um from a membership standpoint you can actually i forget what they called it but i was told that you can actually become a uh, a supporting member or something like that which is cool you know they're starting to get other people like myself, I can join as a supporter. Uh, mm -hmm. So that it, that's really, really cool. Um, but anyway, getting back to the Air Race Classic, I really think that uh, some people are going to be sitting there thinking, that sounds really cool. And it, and what's really cool, too, to me, is you get to put this big number on the side of the airplane, and, and you kind of you look like a, you know, a, real, a real race, et cetera. Um, how about, you know, we talked a little bit about the benefits in getting involved. It's great networking. It's great okay. for your career. But you, you can't just show up and sign up and start flying. You know, what are some of the challenges in, uh, as far as getting involved? So first, the biggest challenge would be trying to find your race partner um, and trying to get a hold of an airplane. I feel like that is one of the biggest hurdles that individuals face when trying to get involved in the Air Race Classic. Um, I was fortunate enough to race three the three years that I raced. I raced um, under Indiana State University while I was in college because they have a collegiate division as well. So you have, I think it was in the entire time that the air race has been um, basically flying, there's been 45 colleges participate in varying years. Not, not all 45 participate every year, but Purdue University, University of North Dakota, Indiana State University, Auburn, Liberty, Western Michigan, um, SIU, Embry-Riddle, those names, they all participate. So we were lucky enough to have the college kind of support us and offer us an airplane. And all we had to do was fundraise for basically cost of fuel and um, lodging and entry fees. Other individuals outside of colleges, if you don't own your own airplane, you have to go find a plane that meets all of the requirements. So the requirements for your aircraft to be in a competition class, it's open to single or twin engine airplanes that are certain certified or that are certificated in the normal or utility category with a normally naturally aspirated engine between 100 and 600 horsepower rated for continuous maximum operation, which means no limitations at full takeoff power. So you have to make sure you have an airplane 
that um, can meet all of those requirements. And then the airplanes that don't meet those qualifications, we actually have a non-competition class. So you get the experience of the race, you get all the benefits of racing, you just, at the end of the race, you're just not awarded any awards, pretty much. And so there's still a ton of benefits, like I said, um, in participating, and we'll kind of cover those in a bit. But that's like the first hurdle you have to jump over. And then when it comes to finding your partner, um, it can be a friend, it can be another woman at the uh, airport that you fly at, or you can take to social media and find a partner through social media. One of our racers, um, Karen Atkins, she found her race partners for 2019 via social media. Um, And they are phenomenal together. Um, We actually have on our website, we're featuring a three-part article that she wrote of how basically her and her teammates met for the first time in person after they decided to enter the race and do this together. And she was like, had we known each other for 20 seconds or 20 years? Because the women in this industry were all, um, you know, kind of in it together. I know sometimes women... um, can be a little catty. I hate to say that. Um, but we can be very cliquish and sometimes catty, but in reality, we're all trying to help raise that number. We're all trying to show other people that you can, you know, go for your dreams and make it happen. And you don't have to let anybody tell you that you can't, you shouldn't let anybody tell you that you can't do something. Um, So because we're few and far between, social media is a great way to find that partner. Um, And then you guys usually have like, you can hit it off and have a great bond and a great partnership like Karen did with her partners. Um, Or sometimes it's a struggle. Um, That's one of the challenges as well is just trying to mesh personalities in the cockpit. Um, Another place that you can go if you're looking for an air race um, partner is the ARC blog spot. There's a link um, in our website for that. And there's a section where it's um, if you're looking for a race partner, you can post on there saying that. And usually um, if you reach out to the air race classic um, team, the directors um, will try and match you with somebody who's also looking for a partner. So that's, like I said, the first challenge. Um, Then you have to meet the qualifications. So you have to make sure you have either a private pilot's license or a higher airman certificate um, with a rating for the class of aircraft to be flown. You have to have a minimum of 100 hours PIC logged by the credentials check-in at the start. You have to have a current medical certificate or basic med documents, um, proof of your flight review or an added rating, um, and either the pilot or the co-pilot must have a minimum of 500 hours of PIC or a current instrument rating by the credentials check-in at the start. Um, so those are basically, that's the first big hurdle that you have to do is just registering. So. There's a lot here. I mean, there's, and, and by the way, all this information you're talking about is on the website. I really highly recommend go to airraceclassic.org and, and it talks a lot about that. Mm-hmm. Going back to what you said about the benefits, though, I really want to kind of go back over that because I think we, we glossed over a few things. The My favorite benefit, it kind of 
teaches people that they can do it. That, mm-hmm. that is number one in my, in my book. What are some of the other ones? I think I, I passed over that a little too quickly. Are there any other benefits to being involved with this that we didn't talk about? Oh, there's so many. So coming from the collegiate aspect, you go through college training, like flight training, or even if you're just fresh out of flight training, you are basically in a test tube environment. You're flying in your practice areas. You're going up, you're doing steep turn stalls, so on and so forth. And you never really get out and experience a very long cross country. So one of the great benefits of the air race is you get to put into practice what you learned in your flight training. So you're going on a 2,400 mile cross country in four days, VFR conditions during the day. So there's no night flying. There's no IFR flying. Um, If you do pick up IFR during the race, you're disqualified immediately. Um, So the challenge is, trying to finish this 2400 mile race in four days avoiding weather um trying to find the best tailwind so again it's putting into play that practice of flying the perfect cross country you're sitting there trying to map out pilotage dead reckoning your entire route going okay what's going to be the most efficient routing do i go high to catch a tailwind do i go low to catch a tail like you know do i stay low and compromise maybe two knots of a tailwind if I was at 2,500 feet or 5,000 because the time it takes to get up to 5,000, is it worth going up there for those two extra knots or do I stay low? So it's kind of, you know, using your decision-making skills that you were taught during your, your training and putting it into play. And then the other thing is the weather, because you have to figure out what the weather is doing along your route. I mean, you've got 240 miles along one route, maybe 300 miles along one route, and the weather can change significantly along one leg. So you need to take everything you learned from the classroom about weather and put it into play to see if you're going to be able to make that distance VFR or not. So those are some of the challenges is just like trying to avoid weather. Um, And we, to kind of get on a story for an example of some of the challenges that you might face during my first race in 2014, we flew from Concord, California. Um, We stopped over in... um, I forget what it, it was Butte, Butte, uh, Butte, California. Um, and then we went up to Klamath Falls for our stop. Yeah. Klamath Falls, Oregon, and then Elko, Nevada. It's been like six years, people. So sorry. I'm a little (laughs) rusty on my memory on the race route. We stopped in Elko, Nevada. We were going to try and make it to Pinedale, Wyoming that night. But unfortunately the time it took to refuel at Klamath Falls was pretty significant. I think we sat on the ground for like three hours waiting on fuel just because the airport itself, I don't think was ready for the flood of 50 planes coming in to try and get fuel all at one time. So it's kind of a scramble at the first, uh, the first route or the first stop. Um, so we stopped in Elko and it was kind of pushing, um, the daylight requirements and it was so close to getting into Wyoming, like right at that um, cutoff for for the daylight hours. And um, we, uh, 
we sat in Elko overnight and there was IFR moving in along that third leg and it started to kind of like rain. Um, and then the next day that we woke, woke up, so day two of the race, we woke up and it was rain, sleet, snow, middle of June, mind you. Wow. Back to sleet. It was like 40 something degrees. All we had packed were shorts. We had no long, long pants, no jackets. The only thing we had was a very light, like windbreaker. So everybody was using like the crew or the airport courtesy car to like go to Walmart, buy sweatpants, buy hats, buy gloves, everything else. Um, and so when we, like, we our entire day was just shot sitting at Elko FBO waiting for the weather to improve, and it didn't. You'd see the mountains come into view, then it, you know they'd disappear and. I had made mention to one of my teammates. I was like, well, do you think we should go wipe down the plane before we go to bed tonight? Because it was covered in water from the rain and the sleet and the snow and uh, everything else. And they're like, oh, no, it's fine. It's not forecasted to drop below 32 degrees. We woke up the next morning and there was a little ice mountain range on our wings. So everybody was like scraping ice off of the wings of their airplane with like room keys and credit cards and using like de-icing spray and the latch to our airplane. I couldn't even get the key into the plane door because it was iced over and the airport had just put up like all of their de-icing equipment. So they had to come out with like one of those big salamander heaters with one of the um, air air tubes and like blow hot air on the latch of the airplane so we could get it open. And we're rotating the plane in the sun trying to get it to warm up. So finally we got it to where everything was um, free and clear of ice, water, and then we took off and we hit our next stop. We went through Pinedale, Wyoming, and then we stopped in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. And from Elko, Nevada being like 40 or 50 degrees, we hit 90 degrees in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. And that same, that day before, there was a massive thunderstorm that had moved through Norfolk, Nebraska, and just like 30 miles north of Nebraska, there was a tornado that just devastated a town that was just north of Nebraska. So you have thunderstorms, icing, you name it, you can have it on the race. So these people that are doing like their long cross countries, uh, this this is like the ultimate long cross country. <laughs> it <know>? is. <laughs> That's so. So there's a benefit right there is is learning from ex- that experience. I mean, where else could you get that type of experience? That is actually really really cool. Uh, so those challenges, I guess, are are both good. Uh, at the time, I'm sure you were. were sitting there cursing saying gosh i wish it'd get warmer <laughs> but especially during the the, the warm months quote unquote uh, even though you're seeing snow and ice yeah it was interesting so you know we talked a lot about the challenges and the benefits um you know how to become a competitor and and all those type of things there's there's a lot to this there's uh more more than you know meets the eye and and one of the things that you can do is just obviously go out to the website and i highly recommend people that are interested to get on their website there's some cool videos too and and the one thing i want to mention on the website is you know we here you know support the air race and i think it's really important to support the air race by looking at 
the last one, because the last one just happened, and it's the virtual air race uh, in 2020 because that was canceled. All sorts of cool videos out there. I haven't gotten, I haven't been able to see all the videos, uh, especially towards the beginning. I, I really actually went to the banquet first, amazingly enough, because that was like really cool. Uh, but really good stuff. If you get a chance, go check that out. I really think that we should continue with the air race, having more of these videos out there, because I think it was just awesome to see everything that happened there. So the future one, though. Uh, 2021, that's actually going to be in a race, and we're going to have that here in Lakeland, starting in Lakeland, I should say, uh, Lakeland, Florida. So definitely check that one out. You know, uh, anything else as far as, you know, the future of the race? Is there any changes that you see coming forward or um, are, or anything new that they're going to do? I know you talked about the handicap. I didn't really know much about that. Is there anything else that they're looking at changing with the race? Uh, not that I know of. Um, I know there have been some changes in the works. Um, nothing significant. Um, as far as I know, I'm just, I'm not one of the main directors or one of the board members. Um, so that's usually a discussion with the board members. Um, and that's something they deal with. But as far as I know, it's just continuing to educate and inspire the next generation of pilots, both male and female, um, and educate the general public about women's involvement and their impact on aviation. Um, and actually just the, the, uh, impact of general aviation in in general um to the economy and the importance of general aviation as well you know all of us have had some kind of experience with the air race classic either seeing them at oshkosh at sun and fun uh and we don't really realize what it is i highly recommend people getting out there and actually checking it out online uh bill i think you had mentioned that at one point uh you had either been involved or you know somebody that's involved with the race I have never been involved in the Air Race Classic, but uh, I did want to ask you a question. Um, I'll tell you a story about someone I know who is involved in the Air Race Classic from an entirely different segment of life. It has nothing to do with airplanes, but um, we talked about the history. In, in your years, since you've been uh, involved now, what, six years, what kind of changes have you seen with the participants? Are, are we seeing more professional uh, women pilots like yourself uh, are a lot of personal pilots. Uh, is there a change? What's the mix like? I'd say you're seeing a lot more first time racers. Um, when I raced the first time in 2014, there was a lot of veteran racers um, and the first time racers briefing. Um, Cause we hold briefings at the start. Um, every year. The first time racers briefing was fairly small. It was probably maybe 10, 15 ish people. Um, if I remember right. Um, and now it's like half, if not more than half of the competitors, it seems like are first time racers. So we're getting a lot more, um, kind of cycle through who flies it instead of the veterans that fly it every single year. So that's good because we're expanding and we're, our outreach is getting um, further and further out in the, the aviation community. Um, but as far as major changes to the way it's been like held or the way it's been conducted, um, I haven't seen much of a change um, since I've been flying it we have added one aspect to the race called map progress so every team is equipped with a spot tracker 
And um, every year we have the map progress team um, helps us and supports us by basically um, using GPS satellite trackers and throws up a map and you can track every single team um, where they are at real time along the race route. Well, that, that's awesome. That sounds like a great way to get more people involved. And sounds like you've got a great indicator there of more more new people, more more women mm-hmm. pilots coming along and uh, to be able to be involved in that. That's uh, That sounds great. Mm-hmm. To add to that, Bill, I noticed uh, what you said, Kaylee, is getting involved. Uh, Indiana State, right? That's where you went? Um, yes. And so they've been involved in this f- for a long time. It seems to me, because, you know, I'm involved with the, coaching the flight team here, there's a lot of students that I've seen from the flight teams like the Auburns that have gotten involved in this air race classic. That must be a, a great way for them to get involved from the cost perspective. Like you said before, if they're involved with the flight team, do you find that a lot of these folks that are the collegiate level, are they normally involved in the flight teams at their school? Have you noticed that at all? Um, I haven't noticed it. Um, I think most of the the women or the collegiate females that participate, they do like to go out and participate in other competitions as well. Um, I participated in our flight team for one year, but I was so focused on the air race um, that I didn't participate any other time. Um, but a lot of the girls that I've talked to, they have participated in like NIFA. Um, interesting. Yeah. yeah the, um, but it, it, what's interesting too, is that one of the folks that I, you know, correspond with quite a bit, who's uh, from Auburn and stuff like that, they said that at their school, their team has been very supportive. So, so the point I'm trying to make is this, if you have a team at your school why don't you mention this to them <laughs> you know and say hey guys you know i i know we're not involved in this maybe we should get involved and it doesn't necessarily have to be i think uh, it's a college but they uh also could be collegiate level classes offer because i remember that pan am academy was able to actually compete mm-hmm. at one point that type of thing and they have a degree program through uh, another college etc so you never know in other words you never know uh, how people might be able to get involved in this so i highly recommend uh, getting out there and getting involved um so Kelly, this has been awesome. I tell you, I know we could talk forever about the air race and stuff like that. And, um, and, you know, moving forward with your flying career, you're very dynamic. You're very involved online as far as, uh, you know, with what you do and social media and you are an inspiration for many people. I guess that's one of the reasons they decided to, to bring you on to help out with, with publicity here, uh, with the air race classic. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, what, do, what do you do for the air race classic? Other than coming on to shows like this. <laughs> so the way um, I kind of started volunteering with the air race was after I did my first race, I was absolutely enamored and completely absorbed with the air race classic. Um, after 2014, I became a handicap pilot. So I've actually done um, quite a few handicap flights. Um, I think in 2015, I did like seven handicap flights, um, for people or for teams in the Midwest. Um, so 
I was involved strictly by volunteering with the handicaps, um, doing the handicap flights. But then when I moved out to Montana for my job, there was like nobody in Montana that raced. Um, and nobody wanted to travel all the way up to Kalispell, Montana to get a handicap flight done. And so I reached out to Lynn and I was like, Hey, I'm willing to help out with whatever, um, I can, um, you know, I, I still want to be involved in this, even though I can't do stuff in person. And she, she said, you know, we, we need somebody to help out with the social media. And I said, perfect. I'm looking at getting more into the social media aspect myself. I love it. I love, you know, how you can get connected with people and spread positive influence and a positive message, um, basically to the world using social media. And so, um, I started out doing that back in 2018, I think it was. And let me tell you, it's difficult to come up with social media content for an entire year with just a two week um, event. So we're always looking for people who uh, has, you know, has raced before and they have some pretty awesome, you know, stories, whether they've raced, volunteered, um, any kind of like aspect of the air race, we're always looking to promote um, and share stories. So I've been in charge of their Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And I didn't really get very involved with it. I'd post here and there. I'd, I'd post very frequently during the races, but it wasn't until this year that I was like, you know, I really need to give the social media a facelift. So I've been working on going through doing um, social media content calendars for the air race, reaching out to individuals to see, you know, if they would like to be featured, um, trying to get more uh, different aspects and different dynamics of the air race kind of featured on our social media. So it's, it's a pretty big task to take on. Um, but hopefully we'll get the social media really up and running here soon with the new facelift. Well, I, and they picked the right person to do it because you are very good at social media. That's for sure, especially with the Instagram. Love the love the page. We'll have a link, by the way, to that on, at the bottom. But there's many ways you can find. Uh, there's really cool pictures. There's many ways to find more about that. Again, airraceclassic.org. Start there and then move on because I think you have Facebook. You have that. Do you have a YouTube or is it just on Vimeo? The YouTube. There's like four different YouTube channels. We don't know who actually like holds ownership to those. We don't have our own air race classic held one so you can go out and like youtube videos and a lot of them will pop up with um gopro footage from racers you'll have news articles um tv coverages of the air race if you just go to like youtube and google it or not google it but if you go to youtube and type in like air race classic it'll come up or if you google air race classic there's a lot of information that comes up about it with um different press releases and um you know media coverage if you go to the website, there's some really cool pictures. You have some good photographers out there, by the way. Uh, so, so definitely check that out, airraceclassic.org. So, Kaylee, what, what's, uh, what's next for you as far as uh, Air Race Classic? So what's next for me is obviously I'll be working on the social media sites, trying to get those kind of revamped, um, give them a new look, um, basically give them the facelift I've been talking about. Um, but then one of the things that I would absolutely love to do um, is I want to try and start racing more again. 
Um, I don't know if that's going to be financially possible to race every year. I would love to race every year, but it's kind of expensive to fly an airplane that far because not only are you competing in the 2400 mile race, you're also getting to the start and back from the start, um, which can also be just as long. Um, but I'd love to race with, uh, my friend Lynn Kaywood, who we've mentioned multiple different times, um, throughout the conversation. And then uh, another goal of mine is whenever I race, um, I'd love to bring a new racer, a first time racer, um, on the race with me so we can expose more, uh, female pilots to the Aries classic, maybe give them some, something to look forward to and possibly spread the word about the air race as well. Um, but my ultimate goal, don't know if I can swing it or not in nine years. Um, I would love to find one of the original aircraft that were, was flown on the 1929 race. One of the travel airs, Lockheed, um, one of the ones that those pioneering women flew not the exact airplane not not like the specific serial number and tail number because obviously they're probably not really around unless they're in a museum somewhere um but the type so i'd love to find that type and then fly it on the 2029 air race um for the like 100th year anniversary of the 1929 race um probably you'll have to fly it non-comp um, non-competition but I would love to try and do something like that just to kind of pay homage to the first woman who raced and just to that legacy and the torch that is being carried year after year with the air race. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. Not sure if it's going to happen, but would love to try. Well, Kelly, you truly are carrying that torch and are an, uh, an ambassador for both women in aviation and also the air race classic. So we really appreciate you for what you do for everybody out there. And I'm, sure that somebody listening right now is going to be inspired by your story. So thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to spread the word about the Aries and women pilots and uh, be an advocate for both. And if anybody just kind of want to give this last message, I know we kind of like skirted over the actual race itself, how it's conducted and stuff. But if anybody wants to learn more, um, they can hit me up on social media, either my personal site, the Aries's site, you can um, go to the Aries Classic website. That's where all of our information is. Um, we actually started an archive um, at the Texas Women's University down in um, Denton, Texas. That's where the Women's Air Force Service Pilots archives are. So the WASP archives are down there. We now have an ARC uh, archive for the Women's Air Race. So if anybody wants to find out more information, um, all of those places are a very, very good uh, resource to use. All that information will be available on the bottom of the show notes here, airraceclassic.org, uh, Kaylee's Instagram account. Also, if you want to learn more about Kaylee and what she does for a living, we have a link to another uh, podcast we did about her career as a cargo pilot, and we talked a lot about Lynn Kaywood, and we'll have a link to that too. But uh, again, Kaylee, thanks again for coming on. This has been so much fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always love coming on and speaking with you guys. Well, for myself, Bill, and the rest of the crew here at uh, the Stuck Mike Avcast, we really appreciate uh, your listening right now. Don't forget to click on those links at the bottom of the show notes and help support the cause by at least following them on Facebook, on Instagram, wherever they are on social media, and also Kaylee. We appreciate your listening. Don't forget to go out there and do something today to help out these people. This is just one of the one of the organizations that's moving the needle and getting more people involved in 
careers and also in aviation and general aviation, more females than everybody else. So I really highly recommend you going out and checking it out. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.